on this episode of Graphic Content, we're going to talk all things Justice League. Wait, you mean like Morrison and Porter and Jeff Johns and Jerry Conway and no, Gil no, no, Kane? Dude, 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 dude. What? The movie. <sighs> okay, I guess we can talk that. On this episode of Graphic Content. Stay a while and listen. He called you a cowboy. What in Sam Hill? What did he mean? What are you? I'm the abomination. The strongest mutant of all. Know this, swimming bird. Let's face it, this is not the worst thing you've caught me doing. This blue eye perceives all things conjoined. I cared much for the word impregnable. The past. Sounds a bit too much like unsinkable. The future. What's wrong with unsinkable? Nothing. And the present. As the iceberg said to the Titanic. Sir, how's life? He seems nice. And we're back with episode 38 of the Graphic Content Podcast. My name is Jim, and I'm alongside... Adam S. Messinger. And my last name is Mason. We do this from time to time. Every now and then. Every now and again. I want you to know who I am, full disclosure. I'm not on any lists. you got to have a brand, Jim. I do have to have a brand, but I'm just Jim. Yeah. Jim. You know, that could also be... There's so many Jims out there. There's Damn It Jim. Yeah. There's uh, Jim from Jim and Pam. There is Jim and Pam, but that's been a few years now. So well, I so is Damn It, Jim. That was 40 years, but... Yeah, but that that's the, the Jim that keeps on giving. That is very that much is. so. That is. I mean, 50 years ago. 50? 50. Jeez. It used to be a special thing, but now there's so many like genre movies coming out right. with like, you know, fan bases and stuff that they're just like, we can't do that all the time. Well, there's a, uh, a cool Denzel Washington movie coming out called Roman J. Israel Esquire. Uh, which is about a, 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 a f- somewhat famous slash infamous attorney from the 80s and 90s. Uh, and that's going to debut on Wednesday, the day before Thanksgiving. Well, that makes sense. Yeah, it does. But it, it's it's just, why don't you say, but it says it's coming out Wednesday. So why not say it's coming out Thursday night? You know, yeah. it just, I, I don't understand the marketing scheme. You know, we're not really seeing it early because the press people all saw it two and a half weeks ago. <laughs> so Honestly, I mean, it would probably be smarter for them to say when it's going to come out, because that's going to keep word out. If, if something sucks, they're trying to keep that in the bag as long as possible. Right. And, and, and people who see it on Thursday are going to be like, fuck that movie. Don't waste your time. Well, yeah. And, and, and honestly, you know, I, I think that this is as good a time as any to say that this is going to be a spoiler filled podcast oh yeah uh we are going to review the nooks and crannies of this film i think there's a lot to talk about both on the good side and the bad side with this film um but one spoiler alert that i don't know if you're aware of adam is that the projections for the three-day box office they had to be lowered didn't they uh well they were lowering it before release so they were originally coming out for between 140 and 150 good god at the beginning or excuse me, at the end of October, beginning of November. And then they came out with a revision about uh, 10 days ago, saying it was going to do between 100 and 110. And uh, 
it didn't even make that. I was so going to say, it made 96, didn't 96. it? 96.5 is what it's looking like right now, which is a spectacular sum of money for anybody, you know, people like us. What world do we live in where a movie makes thir- a third of its budget back in a weekend and you're just like, yeah, I don't think it was much of a success. Yeah, but then you also have to take into effect the extensive reshoots on this film that Joss Whedon con- uh, conducted. And the, the, the inside scoop, at least from what I've heard in uh, the Holly- from the Hollywood-type uh, podcasts and uh, reports, is that the marketing for this film, which began over a year ago, if you think it was... You know, I mean, the marketing, they were starting to cut the first trailer at Comic-Con 2016 for this film. So they were were talking a marketing cost of anywhere from north of $150 million in and of itself. I think I'm in the wrong business. I'm telling you, dude, I think we need to get into movie advertising. Because good God. Right? You know, <laughs> that's that's insane. Well, you know, and those, you know, you got to feel for the marketing people because as Warner's saw the reaction, disappointing reaction of of BVS, which by the way opened what is its highest um, uh, grossing opening with one hundred sixty six million dollars. Um, that th- this was a moving target. You know, they were looking at. Uh, a movie that was supposed to be a lot larger, a lot, um, uh, I think, a little bit longer. I think that this is a movie that really um, was hampered from the word go. They originally said that it was going to be two movies, right? They originally did. I think when they first announced it, they were going to film them back to back. So while the movie is dealing with things like a disappointing box office, even against their revised revised projection, um, and the fact that uh, Rotten Tomatoes scored it at thirty nine percent, really, the I was day wondering before what, release. Okay, but you know what's funny is a lot of the outlets that I pay attention to, places like Collider, Complex Media, Screen Junkies. Uh, I think even IGN was kind to that film, you know, giving it anywhere between uh, a 60 to a 75, 80%. So it's, you know, Rotten Tomatoes, the, there, I read an article about the power of, of that service. Um, and to now have a, an internet show called See It, Skip It, and they saved their Rotten Tomato score for the very end of their yeah. inaugural episode. I thought it was pretty douchey on their part. I mean, I'm not for tearing Rotten Tomatoes that down. That was that was the internet revolution of 2015 when BBS came out. Yeah, you know. So I'm not I'm not I'm not going after Rotten Tomatoes with torches and pitchforks. I'm just saying 
that uh, they return the favor to the internet geek community, I think, uh, with their rather low opinion of that film. But that's, that's an aggregated score. So there's a lot of film critics who just don't like this movie, and I'm not one of them. I, I, you know, again, spoiler-filled podcast. I'm going to say right up front that without giving my score, which, by the way, we're going to do as mother boxes. I was wondering what it was going to be, but and that I was sitting there. I'm like, I can't really think of anything good. Mother boxes is perfect. It's, I mean, it it, it is the MacGuffin of the film. So there you go. Yep. So we're going to be scoring this one out of five mother boxes. Okay. And I think that will get our point across pretty well for that. Absolutely. But I, I just spoiled my overall reaction to the film, saying that I had um, an enjoyable movie-going experience. Now, also in full disclosure, I worked an extremely long day, probably on the order of 13 hours, got, got up at the crack of dawn, and we went to this 9 o'clock showing. So and by the time the third act and all the Sturm and Drang and the Justice League is fully formed and, and spoiler, Superman is there, I started to nod off a little bit. It's <laughs> funny because I was I, I was sitting there and for whatever reason, my brain would not shut the fuck up. It criticized either for good or for bad every little thing that was coming sure. on screen. And, and I rightfully was, so, given our previous experience with BVS. Well, I really wish I could have just sat back and enjoyed the movie. Like with Thor, I was able to sit back and let the movie come to me. Right. With this, straight from the get-go, it was going through the filter whether I wanted it to or not. Okay, fair. And um, I was going somewhere with that. Fuck if no, I No, but... but I, I, and so... You know, oh, and, what I was saying was I I know where I was going. Okay, I was excited to talk with you about it. Yes, and then I noticed as we were having a conversation, I was like, he didn't catch all of it. I really did. I'm going, man. I, I was just beat, and and so what I did today was we're recording this on Sunday, November nineteenth, uh, just before eight o'clock in the evening. I saw it again this afternoon, so now I have a full, fresh, well slept. <laughs> um, uh, perspective on this film. Did and you I, do IMAX again? Uh, yeah, you know, the, wow. only, the only way it, that, but here's the deal. I could not get, well, it wasn't technically, it wasn't like the 70 millimeter IMAX. It was the 3D IMAX. Oh, you saw it in 3D? Yeah, it was, it, the ticket was at, was actually cheaper and I got my favorite seat with the reserved seating. Huh. So, you know, I, I just, I wanted to see it. I didn't necessarily want to see it right, you know, sitting right on top of the subwoofer again. So, you know, I wanted to be able to hear everything. And I felt some, like in our theater, that movie was fucking loud. It was it was loud to the point of almost being obnoxious. And and that's something that maybe will go into one of my dislikes on the film. Just, just oh, I don't real, even, that's nothing I feel like the film could control. I felt yeah. like that was our local theater. Yeah, that might be the case, but I'll get into that in, in a few minutes here. But anyway, so, so this is, we're going to deal with this review as we do all of our reviews here. We're going to start talking about, uh, hopefully what we liked about the film and we're going to get into spoilery goodness with that one. Uh, then we're going to talk about the things that we think could have been better, which is a nice way of saying the things we didn't like. Uh, will be the second phase of this. And then we'll sum up our thoughts and give it a score. Again, one to five mother boxes. Ping, 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 <laughs> ping, ping. That's, that's what mother boxes do in the comics, kids. All you see is an onomatopoeia of ping, ping, ping. Yep. That's why Lex Luthor did that in the 
BBS. And oh, Brett. really? Yeah, he was. You know, okay. well, I've tried it's to calling. Block. It's calling me, Batman. It's calling me. Ping, ping, and I'm going. Oh, total fourth world reference there. So, okay. Yeah, yeah, I'm. I'm now not making sense to a lot of people, so I'm going to just dial it back a little bit. And Adam, why don't you go first? Tell me what you liked about this film. Fucking nothing, dude. This movie <laughs> fucking sucked. No. <laughs> uh, it, it made me want to eat my own toenails <laughs> in a bowl full. If I was chained to the if I was chained to the chair, I'd totally gnaw through my ankle. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh I I liked I loved Flash, I loved Wonder Woman, I loved Aquaman. Okay. All three of those characters I thought were really well introduced and well put together. Okay. And and not only that, they led to some great character moments. Yes. Um, especially the scenes with uh, Wonder Woman and Batman, I thought were extremely well done. Oh, yeah. I um, mean, and credit to Batfleck. I mean, credit to Ben Affleck for, being, for playing off of Gal Gadot uh, in those scenes, because there was some dialogue-heavy business between the two of those actors, I thought. Exactly. And, yeah. and they both did uh, amazing jobs and, and created great chemistry between the two of them. Uh, I loved Wonder Woman as the leader of the team. Yep. That was where I felt like it should have gone uh, as, as they were kind of directing it. And I was glad that they were conscious of that. Yep. Because at first I was like, Wonder Woman's the real leader, even though Batman's doing kind of the heavy lifting. Yeah, Batman's, you know, he's already an international jet setter. Um, he was going around recruiting everybody and not doing that great of a job of it in yeah. some cases. So, oh, yeah, almost getting his ass kicked by Aquaman. Yeah, that would have been a, a healthy ass kicking for old bats. But anyway, yeah. So I enjoyed that. I I enjoyed uh, those three characters. I felt like Jason Momoa. This this role for Aquaman can do for him what I feel like Wolverine did for Hugh Jackman. Yeah. Um, yes. Except I felt like Aquaman was a great mix between Drax and Wolverine. <laughs> okay, fair. And, I think that's fair. And and I I thought it was fa- I I thought he was great. I loved all the stuff with him in it. Um I wanted I wanted to see Aquaman in the movie after that. Yeah, you know, I kind of got a little taste of the old school Peter David Hookhand Aquaman, you know, where this is Aquaman the uh, not necessarily from a royalty standpoint because he was very regal in that era but just uh, that he is not so down with the human race i mean when he made that comment of you know when the oceans rise because of global warming hey it's all ocean i'm cool man you yeah know? <laughs> yeah <laughs> i mean i was i was kind of getting a little bit of that old school peter david feel from the guy um so cool um what else did you like about the film the fact that they made Wally, or not Wally West, uh, Barry Allen, very distinctly different from the TV show Barry yeah. Allen. They did a wonderful job. I really highly doubted they could pull it off. Right. I thought this will be a slight difference, but no, you get a much younger Barry Allen, mm-hmm. the Barry Allen who you get like a, a 19 to 20 year old Barry Allen as to where I feel like Grant Gustin plays a. Uh, a twenty-five to you know, mid twenties, yeah, mid twenties. You're, you're, and you're, there's a lot that you can learn between those two ages. Oh, I yeah. mean, being nineteen, twenty, you're like a baby adult, right? And and by the time you get to your mid twenties, you've got more of a handle on what's going on, even though you're 
you're not you, you, super solid in it. Or you've just been hit with some significant life experience in those few years. You know, you're, you're paying rent, you're you're signing leases, you're, yeah. you, you're you're worried about your credit rating, you know, you're nervous about the girl that, you know, going to uh, meet her dad for the first time. Exactly. Things like that. Exactly. And I, I loved Wally West, or Wally West. I keep saying that because he reminds he me. He was so young. Of and, Wally. Yes. Of Wally. He had that humor. Oh God, yeah, and and he was the funniest part of the movie. Honest I, to God, Ezra Miller is just a gem. I mean, he is. He was. I mean, he was the much needed joy that this universe needed. Yes, absolutely. You know? I thought that was great. And then, uh, anytime you get Gal, Gal Gadot as Wonder Woman, like you've got me in, and and I I thought that she she was her and she did excellent and. She did the best she could with what she had. Absolutely. You know, I, I don't think that the dialogue was as clunky as it was in Batman versus Superman, so I think that helped her out a little bit. Well, it makes me wonder if Whedon's scenes were all the character <laughs> the character building I, moments. I wonder, you know. Because there was a lot of them. There was a lot of them, and, and Joss Whedon was credited as a co-screenwriter with Chris Terrio. Um, Chris Terrio, we know, uh, worked with uh, Ben Affleck in... I, think he worked with Snyder on BVS, or was that Goyer? Goyer did That's BBS. right. That's right. So we had no signs of David Goyer's script in this one. Um, Chris Terrio was working with Ben Affleck on Batman. When, when, oh, when, before it got yanked out from underneath him? Yeah, or, okay. or he decided to eject, however the story goes. Um, but he was working on that, that script for the film before Matt Reeves from the Planet of the Apes trilogy came in to take over that project. Okay. So, um, so what about you, Jim? What were some of the things that you really enjoyed about it? You know, I, I really enjoyed... I mean, first of all, I have to echo exactly what you said. Um, Ezra Miller was just... I mean, he was the levity that we needed. He was, in in ways, sort of the audience for this film. Uh, where, yes, that's you know, such a great call-out. I when, when, Yeah. When he was pointing up to the uh, bat signal, when he, when he flew into Gotham and Diana met them, him and Bruce, he's like, hey, that's the bat signal. That's for... Oh, shit, sorry. That's, that's for you. We should go. Does that mean we should go? I mean, that, to me, was the moment where I said... He is our viewpoint character in all of this. He, um, he had a lot in common with Spider-Man, which is not a bad thing. I, th- I think that's a great thing. And honestly, they needed to mix it up because, you know, the Justice League, let's talk. I mean, first of all, graphic content is primarily a comic book podcast. So if we're going to go into the Silver Age of Comics where the JLA was formed or when the JLA was formed, it was a bunch of middle-aged white guys in Alien and Diana Prince. They were uh, all, they, I thought di- not all, there was no Black Canary upon nope, Inception? Nope. Oh, okay. She was not in the original. She was in the uh, revised version, I think. The um, She took the Wonder Woman role that uh, in the Mark Wade Barry Kitson. Oh, okay. Uh, That's Justice League Year One, yeah. I think. Um, but originally in the Gardner Fox era of Justice League, it was a bunch of middle-aged white guys, Marsha Manhunter, who could shapeshift into a middle-aged white guy, uh, yep. and Wonder Woman. <laughs> yeah, and Barry Allen was a blonde, crew-cut, blue-eyed, middle-of-the-road kind of kind of uh, socially slow. I think is the nice way I could put it. Yeah, uh, kind of a, a clumsy forensic scientist back in the in the early '60s or late '50s, early '60s when he was created, when nobody really understood what f- forensic uh, criminology was all about. 
Uh, he was just always in the lab mixing chemicals, and nobody would call him a real cop. Um, so they needed to change it up a little bit. You know, Aquaman couldn't be blue-eyed, blonde-haired, just like um, uh, Ezra Miller's character could not be that crew-cut, straight-laced Barry Allen. So to see Momoa, you know, a character of Pacific, or a person of, of Pacific Islander descent, um, taking, that, taking that role on to add a little bit more uh, um, flavor to the melting pot of the characters, I thought was fantastic. Um, we've talked before, you and I, I'm not sure if we did this on a podcast or not, about how much I am not a fan of Cyborg in the Justice League. I, 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 I feel like at some point or another it's been covered because he, he feels like a lot of the time they're... Uh, they're Iron Man, you know? I was going to say he, he feels like a token character to me. Well, and, well okay, first of all, I, I, you could have taken a hammer and hit me between the eyes with that statement, and... And it, it, it is and it isn't. I mean, I, it's hard to say. You know, I don't want to jump into the head of Jeff Johns and Jim Lee, who came up with the new 52 version of Justice League, where Cyborg was a founding member of the group. But I always loved my... I mean, again, old school Teen Titans fan. Well, if Cyborg, you look at the Cyborg, Meltzer run, yeah. uh, they naturally... Uh, included uh, Roy Harper, who was Arsenal, and made him Red Arrow, you could have done the same thing with right. Cyborg, and then when you went into the, the relaunch, it wouldn't have been so weird. Right. I think it was just very much, we're going to just, we've got all these round holes, and we've got these different shape pegs, and we're just going to take a hammer and pound them in, because this is our perfect uh, lineup that will appeal to millennial readers. And, and look, at first I didn't like Cyborg in the league, I'll tell you what, I like Cyborg in the Justice League a lot more in the movie version than oh, I did. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, I want to give huge kudos to Ray Fisher, uh, a guy who's worked on Broadway but not in feature film before, for first of all, being able to perform to the to level that he did in a feature film. And that level is he had to let the CG do so much of the work for that where he wore a performance capture suit, just like Andy Serkis did in the Planet of the Apes movies or when he played Gollum in The Lord of the Rings. Um, they needed to, to, he needed to have trust in the process, so he needed to dial the character of Cyborg back. Yes, he's bitter. Yes, he's angry. Yes, he wants to be human again. And he needed to get all that across, but he couldn't do it pounding his fist on a table and breaking it. He had to do it through subtlety and through changing the tone of his voice, deepening his voice, or making it softer at times to really to really drive that point home for a character who was a lot to look at. I mean, there was a lot of CG business going yeah. on with that character. And in the end of the film, when they do the, the closing montage before the credits, um, to see him take on the modern look of the more sleeker, Cyborg with that the, was cool. Yeah, with the cyborg C in his chest, you know, kind of yeah. taken from Superman symbol a, a little, you know, or at least the idea of having a chest symbol. I thought that was a fantastic nod. So those were the, those were the character beats that I, I I liked a lot. I also liked the inclusion of other characters from the DC uh, film universe that we've seen in the past. Oh, like uh, yeah, okay, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, like about. Diane Lane and Amy Adams was that, from Man of Steel. It was nice to see them again. Martha, why did you say that name? Yeah, <laughs> but I I 
it made sense. You know, it made sense that Diane Lane had nothing to stay at the, or excuse me, Ma Kent had nothing to stay at the farm for. That Lois Lane didn't have that that Pulitzer Prize winning spirit anymore. That that moment between them where mm-hmm. they're sitting down at the table and uh, Ma Kent kind of lets it slip out like I'm your mother in law. Yeah, and I loved that moment. I thought that was a really great bonding between them and how Ma Kent looked at Lois Lane. Because uh, that's not really their relationship had not really been addressed a whole lot outside not at of all. Man of Steel. Not at all. And um, to actually drop that on her like that, and then to see Amy Adams' reaction to that, like I could have been your daughter-in-law. I mean that that got me, especially on the second viewing. It was lost a little bit on me my first viewing. I'm going to start calling that the tired viewing, but oh, my okay. but my awake viewing. Um, I caught that that subtlety, and that's what makes Amy Adams the actress uh, that she is. Um, so I like those parts. I really loved the history of of Steppenwolf and the army of parademons first coming to Earth and seeing all the tribes of men. You know, you saw the 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 humans, the Themyscira Amazons, and the Atlanteans all ganging up on them. And that giant battle scene was very evocative of something like from 300 or something. My, which, that kind of makes sense. Same director. Right. Uh, and, of course, I, I'm going to tell you right now why I loved it. Okay. And, I mean, this is the, the most obvious thing right here is because I got a fucking Green Lantern in okay. a movie. Okay. And, Fair enough. And there was just a Green Lantern. What does he do? He makes a giant fist with... <laughs> With his power ring and, and starts proceeds to die. He punch parademons, but then he gets killed. But what happens? The ring comes off his hand, starts zipping around. Looking, that was cool. And I could, in my mind, especially the second time that I was watching it, I heard in my mind the voice, uh, "Green Lantern of Sector Two Eight One Four deceased. Now scanning Sector Two Eight One Four for re- replacement." Yeah, you know, and there it goes. And I'm just like. It was just a nerd chill moment at that point. So um, I, I like the brighter colors for Superman when Superman made his return. Um, I enjoyed Barry's reaction to Superman. I enjoyed uh, their little race that they had in the deep the in the third, the friendly race in the third yeah. act. Yeah, the fri- as, yeah the friendly competition. The friendly competition, which is like. Yeah, and I'm carrying an apartment building too. So yeah, <laughs> that was cute. But then the mid credit scene, which spoke to that, which had um, uh, the CGI uh, mustache eraser, um, weird face that spoke out of sequence yeah. a little bit. Um, I'm going to get into that in, in our next segment because I didn't notice it really the first time I watched it. I, I just, I guess my eyes were too hazy. Uh, by hour 18 awake at that point. <laughs> so um, I'm going to get into that in a minute with, with my awake viewing uh, today. But I like this movie because it, it, it addressed the themes of hope. It addressed the themes that you can't save the world alone, which was the tagline for this movie, um, that there's a reason for a Justice League to be around. And the thing at that I think that just put the pin in the, the the perfect map that was the Justice League script that they had delivered for the final edit of the film was when Bruce Wayne goes back to Wayne Manor and he's telling Alfred, I imagine, a, a big round table with six chairs around That was it. fucking cool. 
and I'm thinking fucking Wayne Manor, burnt out Wayne Manor is going to be the first Hall of Justice. Are you kidding me? This is phenomenal. So he gets to keep his all modernistic lake house and then his, his family home can be a legacy of justice for this film, which also coincides with DC Rebirth being all about bringing legacy back into comics. I just, again, another moment of severe nerd chills at that moment, you know. And when Diana walks in in that awesome dress she was wearing, I'm sorry, Gal Gadot is an Israeli goddess carved from clay. I mean, she is a <laughs> near-perfect human specimen. And when she says, but we, but with room for more chairs, I was like, yeah, yes, man. give me Black Canary. Give me green, Matt Damon as Green Arrow. Give oh, my me, God, Matt Damon I'm as just, Green Arrow? I'm just dreamcasting at this point, you know? And get, you know, Emily Blunt oh, as uh, as uh, Black Canary, because I we've seen in Edge of Tomorrow and Sicario how much ass she can kick. I mean, I'm dreamcasting this film like crazy right now. Um, fuck, who would play the Adam? Do we get Ryan Choi or do we get uh, Ray Palmer? I want Ryan Choi. Ryan Choi, outstanding. So we, we find a, a, a young actor of Asian descent. I don't want to turn this into a dream. Maybe we should do a special dream casting episode for Justice well, League 2. that would be fun, and it would be a follow-up to our upcoming uh, podcast where me and guest T.C. Morgan actually... Uh, do some dream casting for really? a couple films. Yeah. Okay, so we're going to talk about that because you've been, as we mentioned a few weeks back, you're going to be freelancing while I am out for part of the winter. So you're 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 bringing in freelancer TC Morgan to take my chair for a few weeks, and I think that's going to be great. So we will maybe do a Justice League two dream I w- casting. I would love that. That yeah. was a lot of fun doing that. Okay, so let's. I would love to do that with you. Maybe we'll that'll be our New Year's resolution. But I, I like the fact that there's a reason for a Justice League, that there's a history that demands that there is a Justice League, and that Superman is wearing much brighter costume now, and they really emphasize the fact that that Superman uh, not only does his house crest on his on his chest stand for hope. That, that opening scene that, with the with, fucking with, camera phone. Yes. And he's they're like, does that really mean hope? And then, and he's then like, his yeah. explanation of that about, you know, it's it, it's like a river and, and actually getting into the crypt, uh, the Kryptonian. Um, uh, what do you call it? Uh, symbology mm-hmm. of that. It's like a river. You know, there's like narrow points and then there's a wide point and then it, it trails off again. It's like, wow. Yeah. You know. Big ideas in this film. So, oh, one thing I didn't get to bring up, I forgot about Danny Elfman. Holy fucking shit. Okay. 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 Hang on one more second. Okay. Yes. 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 You, I would have been, thank you for bringing that. Hit it. I was so excited. I mean, he was perfect for this film. I, I couldn't have. I would have never thought to put Danny Elfman on a big giant superhero movie like this, but if unlike I, he did in you know thirty years ago on Batman. Well, but like I mean, like a team movie. True, true. And like something with an ensemble. Like I couldn't see him scoring an Avengers movie or something like right, that. Right, right. Um, but you, you think Alan Silvestri? You think James Horner, who passed away a few years ago? You, yeah. You think those big sweeping orchestral? Exactly. 
John Williams types. And and Danny Elfman just fucking killed it. He was so amazing. Like, everything hit when it needed to hit, and it really enhanced the feeling and the emotion of the film. Yeah. And my nerd out moment, because uh-huh. my very favorite movie of all time is the very first Tim Burton Batman movie. Yep. And seeing Batman roll up in this giant tank in one of the fights with the Parademons, and then they bust out that Batman 89 theme. Yeah, I fucking, I freaked out. I was like, holy shit. And did you catch the John Williams Superman beat? I didn't. In the third act? No. You hear this. Now that you say that, okay, it was super subtle and you could barely, yeah. But it just, again, I mean, p- goose pimples all over my yeah. whole body. I was like, oh, God, the music delivered the score. I might want to buy that score. Honestly, I wouldn't blame I, you. I, it was I, great. I, I might abs- just get that score, like, tomorrow. Yeah. I, I wouldn't blame you. That that, yeah. that movie had an excellent score. One of the better scores I can think of seeing in a movie in a long time. And excellent use of um, uh, music. Uh, you know, songs from other artists like um, Everyone, Everybody Knows by Leonard Cohen. I forget who did who did that uh, yeah. version of it. And then there was the Jack White song from, from the oh, White yeah, Stripes. Oh, yeah, Iggy Thump. Iggy, Iggy Thump, Thump. Yep. yeah. So, I mean, there were some great modern tunes in that as well. So I just think it would be a great soundtrack just to pick up in general. Yeah. Um, you can tell that I think, there, I, I think we've proven the fact that we are not... BVS jaded against this film at this point. I think that's fair to say, or at least you're going to hear me. that for me. Okay, in my my dislikes, I'll I'll address that. Okay, but what I'm saying is is that I'm trying to put I I I, I literally tried to put BVS not literally but figuratively put BVS in a kind of mother box of its own right now. Um, yes, it's a terrible weapon, but <laughs> you know I tried to see this film for. The original work that was, even though it, it had a lot of tieback to BVS. So I think this is a natural point for us to segue into some of the things that we didn't like about this movie so much. So again, like before, Adam, let's kick it off with with some of the stuff that, that you cogitated on that you think could have been better. While you said BVS, that was a lot of my problem with the film. I've decided Ben Affleck's a great Batman. I don't like an older Batman uh, in this team, I just I don't think it's good. I think it really screws up the dynamic between the rest of the team. You could have had Batman doing what he's doing, only doing it for five years, um, and had a, a younger Batman who can somewhat lead point. Um, I just I again I I didn't think he was I I didn't like the way they they handled him in that respect. Okay. Um, with Henry Cavill, I felt like they didn't know where they wanted to go with Superman uh, because he comes back from the dead and he's Batman from or he's Superman from Superman versus Batman and a complete dickhead. Yeah, and and I mean he's ready to kill the Justice League I mean, when he comes seriously. back from the dead. There was, there was a it, it, he and, beats the living fuck out of Diana, and I was just like, he beats Are you the serious? living fuck pretty much out of everybody. Oh my god, yeah. I mean. Let's address this part really quick. I mean, 
look, I'm, I'm not going to be a super comic book nerd and say, uh, excuse me, you're going to need to use the Kryptonian regeneration matrix, like in uh, uh, super, the, the, the rebirth of Superman, whatever the black suit Superman series yeah, yeah. was. Death and Return of Superman. Death and Return of Superman. I, I totally get that. And I know that Henry Cavill teased the black suit on Instagram uh, when they started filming this project. I totally get it. But guess what? All the Kryptonians in Man of Steel wore black suits. All of them. And, yeah. I, and I just think it would have been too much to see Henry Cavill wear a black suit in that. However, the point that I just want to make is, you know, just to, to because I'm with you 100% of the way, is that, yes, there were so many notes that they had to take from BVS. That's the part of doing a shared cinematic universe. For good or for ill, you have to take beats from other films. And It really was the... It, it dragged the film down. It really did, and and I thought of all the all the things that they could do to do the amniotic fluid chamber that Lex Luthor used to dip Michael Tan Michael Shannon's um, uh, corpse corpse into Lord Zod. I was I was looking for oh, a Kryptonian yeah. name there for a second, but to put Lord Zod's corpse into that made Doomsday. And oh well, we got a mother box, so that's enough of an energy source that it won't turn. Uh, Superman into Doomsday, at least. So, you know, he'll be cool with us, right? I, I like that... This is going back to a like. I like the fact that Batman is ruthless enough to think think it through and believe, yeah, I think I can revive Superman. With this mother box and with this amniotic fluid chamber, I, I get that part. I of, enjoyed the, the disagreement between the team on that, yes, too. Yes, because there were people who were like, nope, that is... No, that's like Victor Frankenstein shit. I yeah. mean, I was half expecting Aquaman to go, no, dude, that's hella Frankenstein. <laughs> yeah. That didn't work out so good. Yeah. <laughs> but I I, I I, wanted, it would have been cool if like Superman had a secret fortress of solitude or if there was another crashed Kryptonian ship that Batman discovered while he was on a year-long journey across the world to find ways to revive Superman. You know, just something else other than Oh well, we're going to put him in the same bath we put Mike Shannon in. Yeah, and then we'll use lightning to bring him back and and a mother. Well, a mother box was dormant, so we have to jumpstart. Yeah, that <laughs> we have was... to hook jumper cables up to yeah, it and give it I a was jump. Just from... Like what? Yeah, you know, come on. Yeah. I mean, that was it. It looked beautiful. It was shot really well, but fuck. I mean, come on. It, it, they just could have come up with something. Different, something Kryptonian. What I wanted more to Kryptonian see, than that. I wanted to see a Lazarus pit. Oh, dude! I wanted to see a Lazarus pit because that could have laid seats for Batman. Because we know we're getting another Batman movie before we get another Superman movie, right? And you know what that could have tied into is there was the opening scene, the opening Wonder Woman action scene with the museum being. Um, taken over by those terrorists. Yeah. Didn't they come off as League of Shadows level, you know, like we're going to burn the world in holy fire and watch it reborn? Yep. Didn't I mean I thought Ray Shagul when I saw that. Uh, absolutely. And and I think that would have been a great a great thing to tie into and and have it as a as a very minor, minor subplot that right. just lays the seeds. Yeah, just a dangling plot thread that that they didn't even have to address for the rest of the movie. Um, you know, but 
again, maybe these, it's still kind of a dangling plot thread. Maybe they'll do that, or maybe they'll tease the Kali Yuga from the Cobra Cult or something like that. Yeah, I, I There's feel a like, lot of different ways they can go. Yeah, and so I, I thought that would have been a much better use uh, of that. It would have made a whole lot more sense. Um, the, the biggest flaw outside of the... And to get back on the Batman versus Superman, sure, I was sure. super annoyed... No pun intended. When I saw Jesse Eisenberg, I was just like, "Can we just let you go and never see you again?" You know what? I I, I have to disagree with you a little bit on that one, just a little bit, because I, I have respect for balls and the amount of balls it took. Because look, Jesse Eisenberg, full disclosure, was not my favorite part of BVS either, and I'm with you a hundred percent of the way on that one but I admire the balls of the filmmakers and the producers of this film for doubling down and saying no. And, and for Jesse Eisenberg to go back to it as well as, as an actor who doesn't necessarily repeat a lot of the stuff that he is in, except for now you see me, uh, which was don't go see that movie. If you've never seen it, it's not worth it. Um, that's the only movie I know that he's done a sequel to. Oh, okay. And I just felt that seeing Lex Luthor, totally bald, in a business suit, facing off, or not facing off, but inviting Deathstroke, the motherfucking Terminator, onto his ship. Seeing Deathstroke, that was pretty fucking and cool. pure white hair, played by Joe Manganiello, who is physically, I mean, he is about the same age as Ben Affleck, and is in, I think, as good or better shape than Ben Affleck, I, I hear he looks beautiful in the Magic Mike movies, even though I've never seen them. I don't personally. judge. Whatever, don't, whatever you want to watch in your I'm free a, time. I'm a married man, so there's things, unfortunately, that I do not have a choice in. So oh, okay. I'm just saying I this. figured seeing that movie might be one of them. I, I, I just, um, you know, anyway, moving on. Um, <laughs> so, but that, I, I love that scene. And, and I admire, maybe, maybe I didn't like it so much as I admired it. And if Jesse Eisenberg is the kind of actor who wants to take another shot at this and thinks he can deliver on this one instead of the Mark Zuckerberg on crack that he delivered in BVS, I think I might be okay with it. I think it would have been better off if they had tried to separate themselves as much as possible from Batman vs. Superman um, before they start throwing things from that back in. You give me a couple movies, and you bring back Jesse Eisenberg. All right, I've had enough time to heal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, the scar tissue is where it's going to be now for the rest of my life, so I, I can live with it now. Like, yeah, so like <laughs> you, you bring him back later, I'm like, okay, I can live with this now. Okay. Uh, the other thing I did And I think that's a valid point. You know, I mean, look, the Batman versus Superman... Uh, look, I will defend the ultimate edition of that film. The, what I will not defend is what they decided to release to the viewing public. I think if you write a script for a three-hour movie like we talked about before, if you write a script for a three-hour movie, put the three-hour movie out. You know, don't don't just say, oh, but the audience, they're not, their asses are going to get upset, so why don't we go ahead and just cut one-sixth of the movie out. I know that's an argument I've made before. That's I an argument you'll never sell me on. I, well, I'm just saying, or rewrite the film so it, it is, is organically two hours and 30 minutes long instead of cut, 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 cut to the point of it not making sense, which is one of the things that I had a problem with on this film is that I thought everything was rushed. 
You really? Know, I really did. I, I kind of felt like that, but I felt like it was trying to set a different pace from all the other movies. Always, so I was okay with the high, with the high speed and the you know how, how fast it moved. I just didn't feel like it gave some scenes enough room to breathe. I, I again, maybe sometimes I take some of my review points from other reviewers that I've listened to, but um, one of the things that I, I heard uh, from one of the review sites online that I pay, I can't remember which one but was that Kevin Sujahara, who's the chairman and, and CEO of Warner Brothers, just period. He said, this movie is not going to be longer than two hours. Period. I'm, like, after the script was made? Yeah. I mean, we we don't know. I mean, there was so much footage in, in those various Comic-Con trailers that we had seen that we had never seen, like the place, like the time when uh, Cyborg shoots through the clouds with his face covered. With okay. metal on the on the organic side, or Batman and Diana talking about how Bruce couldn't get Aquaman to join the the team, there was so much stuff cut out of this film, and I think that that you know editing is kind of an art form in and of itself. I only know this in the smallest of ways from editing this show, which I tried to do very little because the conversation means a whole lot, the ebb and flow of how you and me talk, or if I'm talking with another guest on the show. Um, I feel like it should be put together in the most organic way possible uh, with very little influence. And, and there are subtle editing tricks because, that they have to perform because they shoot out of sequence that sometimes you need to linger on a shot just an extra second more to let it sink in. You know, and I just, I kind of felt like it was like this, you know, it's like, we're going to set this breakneck pace. We're going to get those asses out of seats. You know, you know, it's going to be an hour, 59 minutes with 10 minutes of, of credits. And uh, so that's an hour, 45 minute movie. I mean, that's Arnold Schwarzenegger level movies from the nineties. I, I felt like it was, it worked for the movie's benefit, except for uh, the only thing I could see them adding in there. And this is one of my other issues with the film mm-hmm. is Steppenwolf was about as, as deep as a sheet of paper. God, he was the most paper thin character. No, I'm with you hundred yeah. percent of the way. And I mean, I, I, if they had more scenes in there kind of developing actually motivation other than I'm a big bad guy and I want power. I tried to I tried to destroy the earth before. I'm going why am I sounding like Liam Neeson there? I, <laughs> I had no clue what but you were doing. I, I, but I was just doing my bad Karen Hines, who by the way is is a marvelous actor from uh, over the pond in England. But Karen Hines was just such a talented British actor that was wasted on a role that I mean, honest to God, if it, the only thing that they didn't do with Steppenwolf was slap a mustache on him so he could twirl it. Yeah. I mean, it was it was just, it, it was the most paint-by-numbers characterization of a villain I have ever seen before. Yeah, I really needed more out of Steppenwolf. Um, Wouldn't I, it have been cool? I'm just, I'm... I'm sorry to cut you off, but I just had the, you know, wouldn't it be cool like in that final boom tube when all the parademons are dogpiling him because of Batman's sound effect that, you know, he cribbed together in the Batman mix, mix master machine that um, they call them that, right? Yeah, sure. Anyway, yeah. you know, the final boom tube comes down, which, by the way, I love the fucking boom tubes. Yeah, uh, that was pretty fucking cool. That was the only Kirby thing they got right in this film. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> wouldn't it have been cool if we... You know, he was brought back to Apocalypse. 
because he was talking about how his thousands of year long exile was going to be over. And, and he even says like for Dark Side or some yeah, shit like he that. He does. Like here he is. He's a character from from Kirby's Fourth World. I mean, they made no bones about about uh, saying as much in the behind the scenes. I just thought it would have been cool. They didn't even need to show Dark Side except for maybe the back, like an over the shoulder oh, shot. If, as if he's you can... showed Desaad or Calabac or both at some point, yeah, I would have fucking just been like, "Oh, I know what's coming from Holy the fire shit. pits of Apocalypse." You know, over the horizon with all the, the you know, the, the the fire coming out with the Kirby dots, and I would have lost my fucking mind if I had just seen even. But and again, and it added... don't show me Dark Side. Insinuate right. dark side to me, and that would have been that that would have cost them a minute of CGI. And it would have, I would have let it pass for them to have a paper thin villain if I knew that the person behind it yep. had so much more motivation and depth. Yep, absolutely. And I, and I again, I just want to hit this point is that the only Kirby thing they got right in this film were the boom tubes. They were, I like the parademons. I thought the parademons okay. were really well done. You know what? That's a fair call out because the parademons were very parademon like, not just with the way Kirby himself did it, but the way that John Byrne and Walt Simonson and and really the way Jim Lee was doing it in the New Fifty Two comics. I mean, they were very Kirby esque parademons. You're absolutely right. Now, uh, can you clear up one thing for sure. me? At I'll the, try. At the very beginning of the movie, he hangs a guy over a ledge. Batman does. Yep. And they never address right. who the fuck that guy is, why the fuck Batman has him, and why he doesn't run the fuck away after Batman gets caught up with the parademon and right. he, he just has casual conversation with Batman. Yeah. I was that scene completely baffled me as to what the fuck just happened. I, I had you know what? The only thing that I can think of is that it was probably lost in the editing room a little bit. I think he's. It prob- had to be. I think that he was a guy that Batman's chase almost like uh, what's his name from the Daredevil, and he shows like Turk. Up, like Turk, you know, he's probably one of those guys that Batman beats up. You know, every three weeks, you know, he, you know, it's rinse, wash, repeat. Okay, Batman catches him in a crime, beats the shit out of him, throws him into jail. He gets out. Batman beats the shit out of him, throws him into jail. I'm like racking my brain as to like who they could have done for that. I don't think there was a guy for. I mean. a I don't think there is a good one for that. Yeah. Um, that wouldn't have been a throwaway reference to a much more major character. But my point is, I think Batman's whole idea was to use him as bait for something that he was tracking. But And again, I couldn't figure out if that guy was in on it or not. That, I, no, he was definitely not in on it because he needed him to feel real fear for the parademon to come out. But again, that's just my insinuation based on what I was shown in the film. But I you had to no fill tr- in so many gaps exactly. on your own. Exactly. Exactly, and that's what I'm talking about. That's another good example of how I felt like the editing in this film did the film somewhat of a disservice, where they forced certain scenes to take place. Like, yes, how many times have we seen a Batman movie open up with a criminal on a rooftop, and he's you know got a bag of loot, and he drops the loot. It's like, oh, fuck, there's Batman, and fight ensues. I think all of them at one point yeah, or another. Yeah, pretty much. You know, and, and I'm just like... It would have been nice if, if the dude said, okay, you got me. <laughs> yeah, just to kind of be like, well, lo- we know how this goes. I don't want to lose any more teeth. My wife's already killing me for the bridge I got last week, so please, just let's yeah. take it easy. You know, I, I just, I, I, oh, God, you know, I don't like having to do 
that kind of, I don't want everything spoon fed to me either. Don't get me wrong. Don't treat me like I'm stupid as a, as a, uh, a viewer of your film, but don't make me go through these mental gymnastics to try to figure out why the fuck Batman would do that to a human being. And it's completely disjointed from the rest of right. the film outside of the little parademon. It's not like he's telling, you know, telling the guy, tell me where the tell me where the bomb is or tell me where the kidnapped girl is. There was no there was no motivation for Batman to spin a guy off the ledge other than on his wrist computer on his gauntlet was a heat signature in the building below that ended up being the, the building where the parademon flew out of. And, and that yeah, was, I was going to say, how did he even know the parademon was around outside of that, that glove thing? And like, it was just, there was no real explanation for how he knew any of that stuff other than he's fucking Batman. It's like, now, oh, here's the thing. I understand that the world is sad that Superman's gone, and I know that they needed to that was drive a big that problem point. with me. Okay, I I I like the, the uh, world was not sad. Superman was gone at the end of BVS. No, they weren't, and and, and, and that I felt that was kind of a slap in the face to me. And what I talked about with the the dragging of of BVS on this movie. Well, and I think that they wanted to to sort of retrofit the continuity, retcon it, really like they do in comics where they saw a missed opportunity, and, and like in comics, they say, fuck it, we told the wrong story here, let's spin it a different way. That's how I see it. I, I don't mind them showing that the world is sad that Superman, that doesn't assault my, my sensibilities as much, but I thought it would make a cooler opening sequence if Batman was chasing somebody through buildings. You know, and Batman would be chasing this parademon. You know, it'd be kind of evocative of the new 52 Justice League number one. Oh, yeah. You know Absolutely. what I mean? Absolutely. Maybe go, he's like charging through the sewers and then he pops up, he shoots up through a manhole cover, and it's like this mysterious fast force that nobody, that the camera couldn't get. I'm just speculating here as, as to what else they could have done. Um, but I did love the song. I did love the montage as it was constructed for the credits sequence. And yes, I think the world should be sad that Superman's dead because if there's another Kryptonian, if there are more Kryptonians out there, the Earth is fucked. Absolutely. You know, or if it's white Martians, God oh, willing, I'd love to see that. That was another thing. I was like, Justice League, the cartoon had it so right in yep. that pilot. Yep. Why, why fix it if it's not broken? Yeah, and. They, to go with that seemed just like such a... Uh, if they had done that, it would have made so much sense to me. You could have still brought in Cyborg on Martian technology as opposed yep. to Motherbox technology. Sure. And and I was just kind of like, yeah, this was a model for you guys, and you guys could have run with it and done an excellent job. Well, I'll tell you this. I don't think they did everlasting damage to the fourth world mythology because they barely used it. Um, so yeah. I, I, I truly feel that... In another film, whether it's Shazam or Aquaman or maybe a Man of Steel 2 or if they call it just Superman or something like that, that we could see like more teases of the fourth world for an eventual Justice League 2. I, I would love to see it. I, I think that they can definitely pull more characters uh, from the mythology to sprinkle in leading up to a jail too. So uh, at least that's my hope anyway. Yeah, I think that's a very fair call. Is there anything else that we haven't covered that you just what didn't float your boat, Jim? God, I 
we talked about the resurrection. I talked about the editing. Um, I I did I did want to say that I liked both end the mid and end credit scenes. Both which, of those were outside of me just being like "fuck you, Jesse Eisenberg, get <laughs> right, off my screen." Right. The idea behind it I thought was really well done. There you go. And you know, overall, I think I've I've gotten out just about everything of this film. I mean, hell, I even like Jeremy Irons as Alfred. It doesn't. It, it doesn't kill me. I mean, you know that little quip he made about you know I I missed the days when we had all we had to worry about was wind up penguins. I thought that was pretty cool. That was a nice little touch point. If Matt Reeves decided just to go to a Batman Year One, Year Two, Year Three kind of film trilogy, um, I'll be okay with that. Um, so I I think I've gotten the stuff I I liked out of my system pretty well. I think I think the chemistry between the cast. It was phenomenal. It was so good. Even the 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 short trip that 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 Henry Cavill got playing Superman that he didn't have enough to sink his hooks into in this film. I, I didn't see enough Superman in this film. I mean, that's the well, only complaint I could really. S- by the time he comes back and is is Superman, I'm like, oh, I like this guy. Where the fuck has this guy been? Right, exactly. This is he but, felt but, like the Superman in Man of Steel to me, and that's what we were talking about. Where I felt like Superman, that Man of Steel wasn't a Superman story. It was Clark Kent putting on his Kryptonian clothes for, for the first day kind of movie. He was Superman for a couple of days, you know, before yeah. before Batman versus Superman came out. And then I didn't recognize who he was in the theatrical version. This brighter color scheme Superman who will break. Oh, here's one last thing that I didn't like. Okay, the Russian family. What the fuck was their point? The point they of them set up. I mean, I think they had three or four scenes. There was a lot setting with up, them. setting up the 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 plight of this Russian family. Which don't get me wrong, I don't want to see a Russian family get get eaten by parademons. I mean, that'd be terrible. But they set them up just so that they could be saved by the Flash and Superman. That made no sense as to the amount of attention they paid to that. Right. And whenever that little girl brought out the bug spray, yeah, I was I was like, if she uses that and it works, I'm going to flip my shit. That would be right up there with Jeff Goldblum using an iBook to kill the alien uh, mothership in Independence Day. Exactly. Because I lost my shit in that film with that, with that moment. It's like, are you telling me that an Apple iBook can destroy an alien mothership's operating system? Yeah. It was terrible. And, and I was, and that's kind of, yeah, that's how it would have felt. I was like, if she does this and it works, I'm going to be so angry right now. But thankfully they didn't do that. Yeah. But they did put way too much focus on them when they could have given Superman that extra time. Exactly. Especially to explain why he decides to go and help this asshole that tried to kill him. Right. And all the people that he just beat the fuck out of. Right. Which, by the way, was another dope moment. And when he's got, when he's uh, in beast mode, Superman form that after was his cool. resurrection. Yeah. You know how he's got, <laughs> he's holding Bruce. Do by you the, bleed? Do you bleed? <laughs> I was like, oh my God, this is great. I was, that was, I was like, I, that, I, I that, don't know if I like this that guy. Was a, that was a, but I mean, that was, I felt genuinely afraid for Bruce Wayne at that point. Oh, absolutely. Genuine. I mean, and that he was, was a, helpless Batman. And that was a tie back to BVS that I kind of liked, you know, because that was one of my complaints about BVS. So it's like that's that was a point where I bet that was a uh, uh, a Zack Snyder moment. Yeah. Because I could see Zack Snyder putting this all together. 
I, I truly hope, and this is just one thing before I give my final review for this film, I don't want to know. I know that in general that's 80% Snyder and 20% Joss Whedon is what Warner Brothers uh, publicity has said on this film. We can, we can speculate all day as to which scenes were Joss and which scenes were Zach, but I almost don't want to know because I felt like the tone of the movie, despite inconsistencies in the storyline and the way that it was edited, I felt like it was pretty even throughout the entire film. Yeah, it had, a, it had an even keel for the most part. And I think that's a testament to Joss Whedon being a team player and really seeing Snyder's initial vision for this film and seeing it to completion. Yeah. And what a quality guy that is to pick up where a guy had to leave off because of, of just an unimaginable family crisis. Yeah, they um, pick the, the best person they could for the job. Absolutely. A guy who's done a couple of pictures like this before. Yeah. So you know, I think the kid's got a future. Yeah. Uh, going back to the Superman in beast mode, yeah. seeing Barry Allen for the first time flip his shit with somebody moving as fast as him. When his eye, it, it was so subtle too. Yeah. Just Superman's eye tracked where he was going and Barry's like, oh shit. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, because he knows it. he knows Superman can fuck him up because he has the strength in that same you know speed. But it was just that subtle moment of just watching an eye turn. Yeah, you knew he was fucked if Superman wanted point, to do something. Even if Superman is technically slower than Flash, he's fast enough to kind of track him, and well, that's dangerous for and, a speedster. And Flash didn't have the experience, so he was tripping over his own feet. Absolutely, at, you know, during parts of it. Just another part that made Ezra's, uh, you know, we've already said it a lot, but yeah. Ezra was just completely charming throughout this entire film. And when he was exploring the Batcave, I just had the biggest fucking smile oh, on yeah. my face. And it's even like, the the whole thing at the very beginning of his dad just being like, don't come back here, do something with your life. Right. And then at the end, him being like, booyah, yeah, he's got, look what I did. Yeah, Adam just pantomimed putting, Barry putting the letter, his acceptance letter to G, uh, CCPD, uh, even even as the lowest rung criminalist in the uh, forensic lab, that he got himself a job job. Yeah, <laughs> this and is a job job, and he puts it up against the glass so his dad can see. Yeah, it was just so great. And Billy Crudup, you know, kudos to him. Nice to see him. Uh, and we got no Manhattan wanger in this one. So you know, because yeah. he was Doctor Manhattan in, in Snyder's yeah. Watchmen. Yeah. So um, look, we've we we. The end of this podcast kind of ended like a Zack Snyder film in a way, uh, where we went all over the place. Yes, so. <laughs> yes. But I, I, again, I want to stress that I really enjoyed this movie. Adam, let's do this. Uh, some final thoughts from you on this. Any final thoughts from from you? Not really. I mean, okay. I liked. I liked the, overall. I liked the team. Yeah. I thought the team worked really well together, and I want to see them. I want to see them. It did the job of. I want to see most of them in their own movies and an eventual reteaming. Exactly. I want Justice League too, like next year. I wish yeah, they that'd did be a, great. I wish they did them back to back. Did Did you enjoy yourself at this film overall? Yes. Okay. So. That being said, because this is the now the critical X element, X element, that's what powers mother boxes. Okay. Okay. Little fourth world trivia there for you, kids. What, how many, speaking of mother boxes, how many mother boxes are you going to give this film? Two and a half. Two and a half. Oh, wow. So that's a 50% rating. It, it's, yeah, I, I would say, yeah, I don't like doing the quarter shit. 
Yeah, but no, you don't two and have, a half. You don't have to. Two I mean, and a half, I felt like. I, I enjoyed it overall. If it were like two, that's like a D grade. Okay. I feel like this was a C grade okay. film where it just pulled over with me liking it enough to be like, that was an okay film. Okay. I'm going to give a score over three. I'm going to give it a 3.5. Um, I think that's what I gave Guardian. So I'm like, I believe I can't, you did. I can't do that. Well, you know what? I, 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 you know, this maybe we should do a year roundup uh, in film uh, at, after the first of the year, year roundup of 2017. Because the more I think back to Guardians, the less I kind of am in love with it. Guardians two, yeah. Uh, Guardians one is still magic to me, but Guardians two, I mean. Um, Wow! Yeah, really. I, I, it it, 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 it the, hasn't held up for me. I'm the other way around with that movie. I every time I think of it, I'm just like, yeah, the humor in that was so well thought out, and the jokes oh, were really was. well done, and the character, mo- like it, it kind of resonates with me more. While the first one, I've watched I think three times, and it's kind of forgettable to me. Okay, yeah, I I like the first one better, and I think I gave it a four before or three point seven five. I think I'd give it a solid three a year later. Almost a year later, yeah. but but look, a, a three point five. I think I'm, this is going to be a score that holds for me. Um, I will definitely buy the ultimate edition because I want to see all the deleted scenes for this film. Um, I hope. Yeah, that that'll be good. I hope that that Zack Snyder and Deborah Snyder, his producing partner and wife, will be in a place where they can speak to the film uh, when it comes time to do interviews uh, from the production uh, department on this film. Um, I'd love to see kind of kind of him putting his filmmaker hat on. I hope he's able to speak to it. If not, I totally understand. But um, this is an ultimate edition where, yeah, we're probably going to get an hour's worth of extras and maybe a recut of this film with... with I would watch... Th- like, I won't watch the recut of Batman versus Superman just because of how much I disliked it. Yeah. I would watch the recut of this. Yeah. To see, just be... I mean, I enjoyed it enough that I'd sit through it and see, like, oh, okay, what extra stuff do you have? Yeah, but um, I tell you what, I think Kevin Sujahara did not do this film um, uh, or the filmmakers a lot of... Uh, goodwill by demanding this thing come in under two hours i i just i don't think yeah two and a half would have been good or 215 i mean i just whatever served this and this is my bit where business should take care of business creative should take care of creations and and that's just a thing that that i i don't like top-down management styles and that's always been the tug of war in Hollywood or tug of war in the comic book industry. I don't like top down either, but I feel like this was the one. Like if I were him, I probably would have done the same thing. I, I feel like it was needed in this case to have to be like, don't go hog wild and pig crazy because of that bullshit movie you just made. Well, he's also the one that greenlit that bullshit movie that was made. So part of the egg is on his face too. Okay, and, fair enough. And I, I again, I just think creatives should be in charge of creating. And that the businessmen, you know, they're the ones who had final final say on whether or not when you say go on a movie, it should be relative. The script should be relative to what you said go on, unless uh, a cast member gets sick and you have to replace that cast member at the last minute, or if some something else happens to a producer or a director, like what happened to the Snyders. You know, I, I think then you have to call an audible and and change the plan midstream. But really, as as the chairman of the board, without spending an hour in an editing room yourself, that you should pretty much stay the fuck out of it. That's my opinion of Kevin Sujahara right now. So, okay, and, fair enough. And I think that he was not fair to this film. Um, whatever form it took, I don't know. That, again, 
this is me speculating as much well, as well, I'm speculating about why Batman was hanging the guy off the side of the yeah, building. Well, and there's a lot of armchair quarterbacking here. Exactly. And and that's what this show is. I mean, let's be honest. We're just two fans talking on microphones on a Sunday night. And um, I, I, I got to be honest, I, I still, again, a three and a half, I, I think is generous for this film. I, think I a, would agree. I think a two and a half on your part, look, I, I totally understand where it's coming from. And I think it's fair. Um, you know, this is going to be, again, Zack Snyder movies are polarizing. And I think this is, as Warner's described, this is more a Zack Snyder film than it is a Joss Whedon film. So either you're going to like this movie or you're not. Or, like Adam, you can actually find yourself in the middle. Yeah. Uh, one thing I will say after seeing Gal Gadot, I feel like there was just a, a tinge of she didn't, feel like she did in Wonder Woman just a little bit. She was a tiny, like, she was 1% off is how it felt Yeah, like. it, it was just because and, Patty Jenkins wasn't there. And that's where I'm going to go is the yeah. fact that I want Justice League 2 directed by Patty Jenkins because oh she because Wonder Woman's the leader of the team, so she's the most important character yep. to get right, and I would love to see uh, her direct uh, the second Justice League movie. And then get me Black Canary and Hawkwoman in there, and yep. dude... The, you know, mix up the balance. You know, have have almost as many women as men in that in in powerful roles. Fuck, they could do that movie. Easy. Then then make then have Patty Jenkins do the Avengers: Infinity War for the DC universe. I, I think that would be an incredible yeah. move. But I think I or think, James Wan for that matter. Yeah, because I mean. By all rights, from what we're hearing from the Aquaman, oh, I'm, and that I also, one I'm waiting to see on. I do. I did like Amber Heard as Mira. By the way, I I, I didn't feel like there's enough there to, to judge that because she was there for a whole you know minute and a half. I'm just saying, hey, she did some hydrokinetic stuff, and she looks just like Mira from the comics. So she does look just like Mira. I can't so, argue that. So credits for casting on that yeah. one. Um, okay, so two and a half from Adam, three and a half from me. Meet it halfway. That's a solid three for the film if, if you aggregate our scores on our tomato meter. Um, but what did you think of this film? Why don't you shoot us a note and let us know on the Twits, Twitter, uh, where you can find the show at Graphic Podcast. Adam, we can find the show on Instagram. GraphicContent.podcast. At GraphicContent.podcast there. Yep. And then there's our email address if you want to send us a longer form missive uh, to really rip us both up for how we're both idiots with what we we'll thought of We'll read it on air. I don't uh, give a fuck. Yeah, I mean, I might be like, dude, you're the absolute moron. We'll start a flame war or something. Yeah, but or you can point out things that you know we didn't really think of. I'd love to hear we, you know, we, any we, type of counterpoints. All, exactly. All kidding aside, if you want to s- send us something more than 280 or 140 characters, I don't know what Twitter's doing anymore, um, send us an email at therealgraphiccontent at gmail.com. Uh, Adam, where can the kids find you online? Uh, oh, last Facebook, the Facebook for the show, if you want to leave things on the wall. Oh, yeah, because we're going to post this up tomorrow morning on Monday morning. Uh, Monday mornings have so far proved to be a good day to, to post the show. So, spoiler alert, we're moving the show to Monday mornings now. So, uh, And that's going to be on the Facebook wall, and we would it, love to hear your comments on the Facebook wall. Exactly. So hit us up at facebook.com slash graphic podcast. Now, Adam, where can they find you online? As for me, at Adam S. Messinger on Instagram, Twitter, Gmail, 
uh, that you know, Facebook. You you've got yeah, a fan every, page there. Everything is is all uniform. Adam S. Messinger, M E S S I N G E R, and you can get a hold of me and harass me or do whatever. And you could do the same things. It's just that I'm more of a moving target, like the Flash. So <laughs> see what I did there. I'm on Twitter at Jimmers with three M's on Instagram with at Jimmers with five M's, and I'm simply at Jim Mason on facebook so for adam i am jim adam what do we tell the kids until next time go read a comic go read a justice league comic and yes there's plenty of good ones plenty of great ones that's a whole show in and of itself and until then and after you read those comics i don't know what the fuck i'm doing anymore listen to graphic content